Hello and welcome back to The Winchester, the podcast where Hannah, Ben, and myself explore everything to do with film, TV, entertainment, pop culture, you need. If you're a nerd like us, then you're in the right place. We'll be diving deep into all things nerdy to discuss exactly what it is we love and hate about it. If you haven't already, please make sure to like, subscribe, review wherever you get your podcasts. This week, we're going back to the 70s with J.J. Abrams' Super 8, a love letter to Spielberg and filmmaking in general. But first, let's check in with our panel in a segment that we like to call Whatcha Watchin'. Hey, Ben. Yes, Scott. Whatcha Watchin'. Oh, damn it. I'm sorry. <sighs> I messed up. I'm sorry. I'm just going to go sit in the corner and think about what I did. This this past week, I've uh, I've been watching uh, Dr. Ken, Ken Jong's uh, multicam sitcom that he did uh, after Community. It's terribly cheesy it's got a laugh track and a live or i think it's a live audience anyway but it's got a lot of heart and i actually have a lot of fun with the or with the show a lot of a lot of community uh crossover with uh guest actors including uh joel McHale acting like ken and joel do on their their podcast the darkest timeline just making fun of each other relentlessly it's actually pretty awesome to see those two are bonkers i wouldn't have thought that they'd been friends they're like best friends they talk constantly on the phone that's the reason it's the reason they do the podcast is i think it was ken's wife tran was like uh, you guys might as well just record it and put it out so other people can listen in on the conversation so they did <laughs> it's basically what we did yeah yeah uh hannah what you watching um what am i watching um nothing <laughs> <laughs> i'm reading a lot these days i've started reading the uh, crystal shard series um and what's that it's like a fantasy kind of uh, novel series that's set in the D &D world um by okay i'm pretty sure it's ra salvatore who wrote them um yeah he's a fantastic author my sister's reading something i think Either it's that or it's something similar similar to that. Yeah. I don't remember, but he's got he has a, a lot of books. Yeah. Yeah, he's got a ton. I'm starting kinda like from the beginning ish of like his book series. I'm on the second book right now. Uh I'm almost done. But I, I'm starting to write a bit more and so I'm trying to get more like fantasy novels under my belt. So I'm starting with now, these ones and then I'm gonna move on to some Brandon Sanderson stuff. Oh, I love Sanderson. Mm-hmm. I've heard it's it's um, quite good. He's he's very good at kind of um, building these whole new magical systems, but without making you feel completely lost in them. Yeah, and that's kind of why I want to read it, because I am also attempting to build a magical system right now, and it is hard. <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> um, now, the R.A. Salvatore book that you're reading right now, it, does it have anything to do with The Le- Legend of Drizzt? Yeah, like he's he's a character in in the book. Okay. So I'm I'm wondering he must have spun off to do more cuz I know there's he has a lot of books there's that a are ton up there of Drizzt books. Yeah. And uh yeah. it's like Wolfgar, Brunor, Catabri and Driz are in these books that I'm reading right okay. now. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, they're, he, they're really I've, good. Uh, I like them. I've listened I like them to the Legend Sorry, I've listened to the Leg- Legend of Drizzt audiobook. Um, I haven't read any of it, but he's he's got a really good way with words and getting you kind of drawn into this world. Yeah, it's really interesting because uh, most books that I've read, like the the point of view, kind of stays with one character for at least a chapter or a good chunk, but he's able to kind of switch between 
characters fairly easily and it doesn't really bug me that much. So I, I, I quite like the way that he writes and you can get different perspectives like fairly easily, which is interesting. Neat. Yeah. All you kids with your fantasy and witchcraft, you all need Jesus. <laughs> no, no Jesus. Only witchcraft. Sci- fantasy Jesus. Yeah. Sci-fi Jesus. <laughs> Isn't that just Obi-Wan Kenobi? Basically. <laughs> Scott, what about you? What are you doing? Um, it's been it's been a th- a little eventful, I guess, this week. Um, I've been playing lots of Ghosts of uh, Tsushima. It is hands down game of the year. Uh, it's fantastic. Photo mode is like and is just insane. Every sing every single thing you point, like the camera in the game to, is just a beautiful shot. Um, and it gives you so much control over what you how you want to take those pictures. And you can take video too. You can do like tracking shots. You can like set up dolly shots and stuff. Hmm. Oh, it's so cool. So most of my time has been doing that. I decided to pick up. My old Thrawn book Tim- by Timothy Zahn. Mm. Um, I decided just to restart that because it's. I started it maybe like, I forget how long ago, years ago, and then I put it down. And then I saw it on my bookshelf and I was like, oh yeah, I'd never finished that. So I just started over again. And, um, and I got a new mouse pad today. Sweet. What kind of mouse pad did and you get? <laughs> so I've got... My keyboard, my mouse, and my mouse pad are all Razer, and they're all RGB. And I don't know if I have enough RGB on my uh, <laughs> on my desk anymore. I just put together a computer for work. I don't know if I said this when we recorded yesterday, but and it's got like the Wraith Prism uh, uh, heatsink thing on it, and it's all pretty and flashy and RGB, and it just makes me want to build my computer so bad. <laughs> I want to build it so bad. I want so many flashy yeah, lights. My, um, I have my I have my keyboard, my mouse, and my my mouse pad all kind of like different colors, and then my uh, my PC for right now for some reason when I turned it on it didn't go to the na- main colors so now it just looks like a big huge like rainbow light bright, but uh, <laughs> but I just love the control that you can get over it. like I have all my entire keyboard is just like different colors I've got like my number pad is all light blue, I've got my my number row is purple. I got my functions is orange, my arrows are yellow, WASD is green. Yeah, it's fun. Oh, so much fun. I've got hey a guys, keyboard. guess what? What? I have a pre-built corporate computer that I put a graphics <laughs> card in. Ooh. And not a very good graphics card. It was the only one that would fit. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. My my computer is whatever color I shine a light on. <laughs> RGB is fun and all, but it's like you just gotta. It's something that you have to want. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. No, I've, I have heard that RBG in um, gaming PC parts isn't necessarily like an excessive thing, but a lot of the times it's um, a lot of the higher end parts throw it in because people that are spending their money on a, a good PC want that kind of control. Yeah. Yeah. I actually like sometimes it's hard to find one without RGB. Yeah, like if you want to have something with that with no RGB, like you don't really care about that stuff, and you go there and just like, well, all of these products have it in it. Yeah, basically. But, yeah, well, like but, I like um, yeah. that heatsink just had it included, and it's not like the the best, but it it just had it included, which is kind of neat. But my yeah. my keyboard has like not colored lights, but like you can set up different systems. So like when you tap a 
tap one of the keys, it'll like wave out in like white light. It's pretty neat. That's cool. Yeah. Makes me want to build a PC. I know. I want to build my computer so bad. Building build that computer was so much fun. Build a PC and we so all can play Sea of Thieves. Yeah. yeah. Hannah, you've got me hooked on, uh, you and Phil got me hooked on VR. Oh my like God. I, it's so fun, it. eh? It's so fun. It's great. We're both Can't building wait till squadrons our, in VR. Yeah, we're both building our PCs essentially to in order to hook up to the headset. <laughs> I mean, also to play Cyberpunk. But <laughs> well, um, yeah. uh, speaking of uh, gameplay of Squadrons, uh, was released the other day. Oh, brand new gameplay! It looks completely different than Battlefront, which is fantastic. It looks gorgeous, and it looks like it's going to be nuts in VR. So I cannot wait. Also to get some joysticks with that. Yeah, I was about to say, VR and joysticks, that would be incredible. Yeah, I cannot wait. Well, that's going to bring us to our question of the week. So every week we get uh, a question, whether it's asked from one of us here on the panel or from one of our amazing listeners. If you have a question you want us to answer, hit us up on social media, at WinchesterCast. This week's question is... What are your thoughts on the film industry's current situation? So just a, a little summary of what's happening. Productions, of course, because of COVID-19, have shut down all over the world. Um, and also movies that are in editing or about to come out or are ready to come out have now been pushed. The, re- the release dates have been pushed by theaters. So our question is, what do we think of that? What do we think the future of, you know, seeing movies in cinema is going to look like? How, how do we think this is all going to play out? Because some plays, some movies have refused to do a video on demand. And also some people, majority of people, don't want to pay 20 to $30 to sit at home and, and watch the movie. It's very interesting because it's like kind. we had this conversation even before COVID was happening of like what was going to happen to theaters versus streaming and like there's still the people that really want to go to the theater and there's people who don't care as much. And so there was already kind of a debate going on of like what was going to happen to theaters if if they didn't have audiences coming out. Like now they literally cannot have audiences coming out. I know I just read an article today that Cineplex was like kind of pleading with Ontario to be like, hey, can you ease up on restrictions a bit so we can have more people in the theaters? But like, A, I don't think that's a good idea because you're in an enclosed space with people for like two to three hours. So easing up on restrictions seems dumb. (laughs) And to add to that, it's people you don't know. You don't know where they've been. You don't know what they've done. You don't know how how they are health-wise. Yeah, and like, I I don't know how comfortable I feel with them, like, asking for Ontario to ease up restrictions. That seems... That seems shady to me. And also, like, what movies are they going to show? Because no one seems to want to release their movies if the U.S. market can't come out. So I don't even, like, when they open, what movies are they going to have? Well, I mean, like, yeah. a lot of uh, a lot of drive-in theaters have been showing um, old classics. But to me, I wouldn't want to just go to the movie theater to see an old classic. I'd rather go to, go to a drive-in and have that yeah. experience of being in the drive-in, watching it. You know what I mean? Like, I... I don't feel comfortable in a movie theater just yet. I mean, I know in Ontario, movie theaters are allowed to open, but it's at the point where they can open, but they can't put enough people in the theater to actually turn a profit right now. 
Yeah. So it's it's going to cost them more money to open now. So I, I understand why they want to ease the restrictions, but I also think that that's an absolutely terrible idea. We're, we're just coming to the peak of summer, and from here on out, it's going to get cooler and cooler, and we're going to start seeing more and more cases as we get closer to flu season. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've got some friends that, you know, work, uh, you know, with theaters and all that for like film festivals and stuff like that. So TIFF, uh, Toronto International Film Festival, has also said that they're going forward with uh, some sort of a social distance film festival. But the thing is, is like, so I was talking to a couple people that are aware of the situation and it's like, okay, they're going to have like six seats in between uh, people that are in the same row. And then they're also going to have there's nobody going to be allowed um, at least two rows in front of you and two rows behind you. So there's going to be like 10 <laughs> so, people in like, the entire theater. Yeah. So it's a third. It's literally like a third of the, not even a third. It's like an eighth of the, of the capacity. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It, so that's like the current plan for like theaters from what I've been able to be, uh, from what I've been told. Yeah. For small theaters that already don't have a ton of seating in there, and probably, let's be real, don't have a, a, a ton of people coming out to the movies that they're showing, it's probably a little bit... It, it's so funny. We're, like, reverting back to small theaters being able to have people, and big theaters can't well, have anyone. There, There's a there's a theater here in town that's... Um, it's small. It has three small screens um yeah. and they're the fir- they're, they're the first theater in town that are opening up yep um playing uh i believe they're playing some older movies because they do a lot of uh they they do show a lot of classics like rocky horror picture show and stuff like that that get a get a big draw even being 40 50 years later yeah and it's like gonna they, be so many cases that they don't have as much um like overhead as a company like cineplex does for opening theaters yeah. yeah. Niagara Falls just had a whack load of cases, too. Yeah? Yeah, because it was packed. And then there was a couple of bars here in Toronto. A uh, video came out. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, you just saw people jam-packed in them. Like, people have been putting on, like, secret little dance parties and stuff like that. Why it's would ridiculous. you go? No. Like, I, I just, I don't understand. Like. Because, I mean, mainly it's people who are, you know. The younger folks who think that they're invincible, that don't know the science, and then it's also people who are, you know, up 25 plus, 25 to 35, that don't give a damn. Yeah. Well, there's also a lot of people that when you tell them not to do something, that's exactly what they want to do. Yep. Mm-hmm. A friend of yep. mine who lives uh, north of the city in Schaumburg, she just posted something on Facebook, and Schaumburg, like, isn't a big town, but there was, like, some big party, and two of the people that went to the party tested positive for COVID, so now all those people, like, that's, like, yep. that whole party now has to go get tested, and that's, like, another little pod of people that are probably going to have it. It's, yeah, it's, uh... That's insane. There's um there's actually a uh, uh, a concert at the time of recording coming up just north of Toronto and uh, what they're doing is uh, they're doing it at a drive-in and everyone oh. pulls in and stays in their car and then That's they they fun. have the stage set up between two screens and then they're using the two screens I believe um, as projections for video further back. It's uh, it's cool, and then they're they're also doing uh, a live stream version of the show as well, so you can pay fourteen dollars and watch the concert from home. Huh, that's kind of fun. It, yeah. It's kind of it's a unique it, idea. 
Yeah, it's kind of neat to see how people are pivoting and kind of making the best of what is a shitty situation. Like it's, I mean, uh, you have to adapt. Yeah, I mean, well, it's it's yeah, it's it's going to be an ever evolving thing. It's kind of like you know when you think about like just to to bring in like the PlayStation Five design, what we were talking about a long time ago. It's like uh, I made a point where it's like we're not gonna get to the point where things are going to change until someone changes it. You know what I mean? Yep. So to use like the PlayStation five, for example, it's got a very futuristic design. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not going to, the futuristic designs are not going to become the normal until someone makes that step and changes, you know, the design of something, you know, couches are going to look like couches until someone changes what a couch looks like. You know <laughs> what I mean? It's the same conversation I had with someone the other day about um, the Tesla Cybertruck. Yeah. Yeah. Right. If you look at most pickup trucks on the market, they look pretty well the same. The Cybertruck, it's different. You, it's 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 a bold design and it, it stands out. And I think that uh, uh, the only reason that we haven't done it before is because nobody did it before. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you, someone's got to be the first one to take that step. And honestly, yeah. Car, cars used to look like you know different types of the Batmobile, and then all of a sudden they <laughs> all started to look like Toyota Corollas. Not to look, not yeah. to knock Toyota Corollas, but like. I was going to say, Scott, you know, don't you drive one of those? I don't drive a Toyota Corolla. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, um, but as long I mean, as it doesn't look like the Cube, that's all I care. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a fan of that thing. So where do we think that this goes, though? Where do we think, like, there's got to be, there is this small little bit of evolution to how people are going to ingest their media anyway. But, you know, we saw a picture... Uh, a little while ago of like a a movie theater screen. I think it had Tron on it. And then they had these little like disc shape, like it was a vertical theater. It almost looked like the Senate in Star Wars, which is kind of cool. What do we think is going to, how this is, how is this going to affect our viewing experience? So one thing that I find really interesting is that kids' movies have been doing remarkably well on VOD. And at first I thought it was probably because like parents are at home, they, their kid wants to see trolls and their kid won't leave them alone. They don't know what to do with their kids, so they're going to pay the $20 for them to watch trolls at home. But what I didn't think about is... So when we go to the theater as like a couple or whatever, it's like, it's expensive, but it's not like insanely expensive. But when a family goes to a movie, it's like $150 or whatever when you pay for your tickets, the snacks, like all that kind of stuff. So it's actually cheaper for families to just rent the movie from home for $20 than it would be for them to actually go to the theater. Like a family, a family of five easily saves. So, like, let's take the average of, I mean, here it's fifteen dollars a ticket, right? Family of five, five tickets, fifteen dollars. You're looking at seventy five dollars right there plus food. Yeah. So it right? makes it's it's more. F- and let's assume that they didn't bring their own food from like Bulkborn or Dollarama. Exactly. I mean, even if they did, even if they they did, no food, no drinks, no concessions at all. Um, if a family of five buys tickets to see a movie that's 75 dollars. if they buy or rent it on video on demand for 20 dollars, they're saving 55 dollars yeah per movie and like that's 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 huge huge. that's huge and so the way like the way i see it that's those are theaters money makers like those are families coming to watch a movie with their kids on an afternoon that's where they're making all their money like you and i going to the theater for like 
you know, an evening now and again. They're not making that much money off of us. Like, they're making money off of families. So if families have now clued in and they're like, yo, we can save so much money and just watch these movies from home, I think they're going to do it. And I think that's going to be a major issue for it's gonna moving it's gonna forward. cut out the middleman of the the theater right so that yeah all that money is just going directly back into um the studio pocket right yeah, yeah. so well, they, especially since most people haven't tried it but you know what i mean like most families are like no we're just gonna go to the movie theater but now that they've done it and they see how you know how well it works and like the, it doesn't matter for the kids the kids are happy just to watch the movie yeah yeah i think it's probably gonna be it's gonna this is going to affect it even down the line, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, we, I agree. We, we tried it. We tried it out uh, towards the beginning. We we rented uh, uh, the Invisible Man on VOD, and yeah. I mean, we enjoyed it. We enjoyed the ability to pause it and go to the bathroom and not miss anything. I think Alicia and I both kind of agreed that we would rather make an event of it and go to the movie theater and just sit like see it in the theater on the big screen and the proper audio. But I mean, I know we're also kind of. We're a little biased. I, at least I know, like the three of us here, we're we're a little biased in our desire to go to the theater over watch at home for a lot of films, just because it's the background that we were we came up in, right? Yeah, we're, we're all film people. We all understand the the experience of being in the theater and the tech behind watching a movie in a movie theater with a properly calibrated projector and a like a slightly wrapped screen and like Dolby Atmos speakers. Like we know also, a lot I mean, more about the layman. Attention. Yeah. It's the immersiveness like people, like, of it. Yeah. You, yeah. you, you go there, you sit down and they, you, you're there for an hour and a half or two hours, two and a half hours, depending on the movie. And, but when you're at home, like, could you imagine if your first viewing experience of Lord of the Rings was at home? Yeah. Oh. And you had like your phone beside you, you had your, you know, you know, you had your computer on at the same time, you're on at Facebook. Like, if if that was my first viewing of Lord of the Rings, like, maybe also I'm biased to that because I'm, I have the ability to <laughs> fucking watch a movie without all this shit going on. But like, for like a normal person who doesn't have any experience like we do in film they they might hate a movie that they could have very well loved in the theater yeah that's and that's going to be a lot of people's first viewing yeah i mean like i mean this is kind of a bad example because it was both both times were in theaters but uh the first time i saw cabin in the woods i absolutely died laughing everyone in the theater around me was laughing along like everyone that it was a packed theater and everyone was there for that movie second time i uh, saw the movie i um i took alicia to see it in the theater here in town and we were two of maybe five six people in the theater so you didn't have that same communal laughter and reaction to yeah. the different parts of the movie so i knew it was funny i'd seen it with a great audience so i was laughing enough for the whole for, for the six of us but <laughs> i was about the only one and like people thought i was crazy <laughs> well that's the thing too where it's like the audience but you have that vibe that yeah. shared it's vibe that, that, that everyone theater has. energy that you get. yeah i i saw like it's a communal saw, experience yeah. yeah, I saw uh, Phantom Menace when it, when they decided to do the whole uh, 3D <laughs> yep. re-releases, and I went in there. It was a packed house. There was a, not an empty seat in there, and everyone cheered and laughed and loved it, and everybody was laughing at Jar Jar, and it was like, and people, like, I was talking to people who have never seen it, 
like people that were, that were beside me and and uh, the person I went I saw with at the time, they were just like, this is my first time seeing Phantom Menace, but it's in 3D, and it's just like, and they're like, they loved it. I love Jar Jar, and you have all these like grown ass people. <laughs> Who are enjoying Phantom Menace, some of them for the first time. And it's because everyone was like had that shared energy, that that shared um Zen. It was it was awesome. And I was like, I will continue to go to the theater no matter what. That's why I like going to see uh some of those big movies like um like all of the Star Wars sequel trilogy on opening night. Because everyone yeah. that's there is there to have a good time with the movie, and it's a share. It's a it's a positively shared experience amongst everyone. Whereas yeah. you go see it on an, in an empty theater, and it's it's a little different. I mean, there's there's some movies that don't necessarily gain much from a large filled audience necessarily. Like yeah, I've seen some very very heavy downer movies, which I'm glad I saw in theaters. I quite enjoyed them, but I, I wouldn't have gotten the same experience whether there was one person in the theater or a hundred people in the theater. Yeah. I went or, to go sorry, see, I would have gotten the same experience whether there was one or a hundred. Yeah. I went to go see a 1917 in the theater, like just before like shit hit the fan. And, uh, I am so glad I got to see that movie in in theaters because it really makes you like appreciate the cinematography of that film and how fantastic oh, it totally. is. And like yeah. the, I'm now watching like making ofs, um, like VFX making ofs of that movie, and I'm I'm astonished at what they did. They like I could talk about this for a while, but scenes where they had to stitch stuff together to make it to give it that like kind of single shot look. Uh, when they're coming over the ridge, like that first section where they're going through no man's land and they're coming over the ridge, the back of them, that is all CG. They replace them entirely with CG. And I never, I never would have guessed that. It's insane. They they did such a good job. And I think there's just like, when you can see it on the big screen, I think the wow factor and like the appreciation for like what these artists have done is like it just is a little bit more a little bit more prominent when you get to go see it in in theaters when you see it the way that it was meant to be shown and it depends on the movie for sure like there's there's little movies that you know they're they're more character pieces um than they are like spectacle pieces and I mean yeah I I saw 12 years of slave in theaters I, I like great movie really enjoyed it but I wouldn't have necessarily gained anything from seeing it in theaters rather than home. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I think uh, it's going to be very strange to see what happens. I don't, obviously none of us can say for sure, but I think that this very well could be like, I don't want to say the end of the movie theater, but like the amount of movie theaters that are out there right now, I I don't think they're all going to survive. I think we're going to see a resurgence in um, small small theaters and uh, drive-ins. Yeah. Yep. Drive-ins would be sweet. Yeah. The problem right now is that there's so few drive-ins in Ontario where people are just like, oh, there's going to be so many people there. I'm just not going to go. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's going to be the problem where, like, they – if everybody, if the majority of people think that, then there's actually going to be a small audience there. You know what I mean? Which is a bit unfortunate. I mean, I really hope, like, I saw when I saw 1917 as well, I went with my two good buddies, um, uh, Ross and James, and we were just like, we would, 
this would suck if we saw this on like a little tiny TV. You yeah. Know what I mean, it's just there's just some movies that you want to be immersed in. You want to have that that um, in your face, um, you know, uh, feel, and you just want to be fully immersed in it. And the theater really helps it. And a lot of these movies are made knowing that you're going to be in the theater. Yeah. So what you're telling me is it's a bad idea to watch it on my iPhone? Because that was my plan. <laughs> oh, God, don't do that. No. There's some Tenet things now that are made iPhone. for iPhone. <laughs> I hate, like, getting a job and being like, okay, guys, we're going to tilt the camera now to oh, be yeah. vertical. I'm just like, oh, come on, please, why? No. And then you've got 20 people behind you, you know, from marketing being you, like you gotta get that this is what tape. we do now you gotta get that tape up on the screen to make sure that you're framing for both horizontal and vertical at the same time <laughs> oh my god someone sounds like they have a lot of experience with that <laughs> like thanks thanks janet from marketing we, i've never shot a thing before <laughs> we would have double cameras on shoots one specifically tilted so that you're getting like full res full res six or nine sixteen even though it's going to be seen on a tiny little screen. That Why hurts my head God. so much. Why do you need a red camera shooting at 4K? Just shoot it on an iPhone. <laughs> oh my God. Anyways, you know, you got, you need that 4K 916. <laughs> um, I definitely, it, it's 4K spinning on its side. <laughs> Let's go home. I definitely think it's something that we need to, or that, that we need to adapt to. Um, things aren't going to be going back to normal anytime soon. I mean, masks are going to be around for the foreseeable future. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see how some of these businesses kind of adapt to what I don't really want to call the new normal, but the, the, the current oh, yeah. standard. It's, it's definitely, I mean, I'm going to be wearing a mask probably for the next year and a half. Yeah. Even when a when a vaccine comes out, you know what I mean. Like, I won't go on the I won't go on public transit again without a mask. Yeah, no. It's the TTC here in in uh, Toronto, Ontario. But uh, yeah, I don't think you'll catch me uh, on the on the subway without a mask. In Kingston, you have to wear a mask when you get on the bus. They like don't let you on without one. You have to oh, wear yeah, a mask like anywhere in public. Yeah, it's anywhere. That's this. That's the same thing here as well. But we've got all. We've got a whole bunch of people. You know, it's my right. It's my right. Well, I have oh. a right to live too. Thanks, guys. Appreciate I wasn't. It. I wasn't sure if it was mandatory. It's uh, it's pretty much it's stretching from, wide. It's pretty much stretching from it, from uh, Montreal to at least Toronto, if not further. Oh, wow. Though we we were one of the first places to make it mandatory, which I don't yeah. know if that's a progressive thing or if that's a worrying thing that we had to make it mandatory before everyone else. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, so what, what do you guys actually think of um, of a vertical theater? I like the idea. It's going to be weird, though, because not everyone's going to get the similar viewpoint, right? Like, right now, you sit in the middle of the theater, you're kind of looking eye level. But if you're on the top floor of the uh, vertical theater, you're going to be like, your primary view is going to be someone's forehead. It's going to be like the front row seats of a movie theater right now. <laughs> Front row seats yeah. at IMAX. Well, I would I would assume that like if you had multiple, if you had multiple levels, but then have it each one on an incline, so you have basically a little mini theater seating in each one of those little pods, that could work. Yeah, it it would be interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's gonna 
in order to uh, like, we're not going to change all of our theaters overnight to that style. Oh God, no! Because no. um, it it'll be really expensive. Because buildings are going to have like to twenty thirty five right there. Yeah, we're going to have to change um, the layout and the um, architecture of theaters entirely in order to bring that in, right? You could fit way more theaters in, though. Yeah, like, I was just yeah. thinking you, the same thing. You could have way more screenings because you could basically take one theater right now and turn it into like two at minimum because um, it would take up way less room. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. I, I was thinking that too. You'd need slightly taller buildings, but you could fit a lot more into those taller buildings. Yeah. You would also have to make sure that the sound and everything would be calibrated properly for each level, right? Because like... Yeah, do you think that they would do like um, each pod has its own sound system? Uh, I mean, I would think so. I, it would depend on where the main speakers are placed, right? Because yeah. like the majority of speakers are coming from behind the screen. Yeah. But it's the stuff on the side that you would have to worry about. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It would be It would be interesting yeah. to see them attempt it. Like do a little yeah, yeah. little prototype and see how it goes. I'd be interested to see see that for sure. Well, I think it's time that we jump into the mystery box. <laughs> the Which one's that? Uh, it's JJ a mystery. Abrams is a mystery box for people who don't know. That's part part of his storytelling rules and and uh, things he goes by. So Google it. He does a really really cool TED talk about it. But let's talk about Super Eight. So uh, thank you to IMDb as well uh, for our, uh, you know, descriptions as usual. Uh, so Super 8. During the summer of 1979, a group of friends witness a train crash and investigate subsequent unexplained events in their small town. Um, so this is written and directed by J.J. Abrams. Uh, I'm a big J.J. fan. Uh, what did we think of Super 8? I had a good time with it. I mean, it's certainly got its flaws, um, but it's—I don't know—it's—it's it's fun. If as long as you don't don't take it too seriously, you can uh, you can really enjoy it. It's it's definitely a love letter to Spielberg, like hundred oh, yeah. percent a love letter to Spielberg. Oh my god, absolutely! Uh, one of my notes is also it's like a masterclass and like Spielbergian blocking <laughs> as well. Oh yeah. It, like it, it everything, felt- like like the characters are constantly moving. They're co- the camera is constantly moving, but also the majority of the time it's doing it in a motivated way, and it makes sense. And it's mm-hmm. got this fluid pace to it, which is like such a Spielberg trait. Like I love this movie because I I didn't grow up in the same time, obviously, but like I grew up loving everything Spielberg and like devouring everything Spielberg, and now I you know devour everything J.J. Uh, Abrams as well. Um, it's constantly a, a form of film school for me, you know. We we all we all we've talked about this before. We all love Spielberg. Oh yeah. Uh, there's 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 no beating around the bush there. Um, so it, it it's like I don't know. It, it just feels very uh, reminiscent of peak Spielberg, like eighties E.T. or um, Goonies, just oh, yeah, with a little more serious it, tone to it. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's like you said, it's, it's a love letter to Spielberg, but it's also a love letter to 70s cinema, which is like where cinema changed. Yeah. Well, I mean, with Spielberg and Jaws and Lucas and Star Wars, they changed the face of movie making. Yeah. They created the blockbuster. Yeah. I mean, they even, um, I mean, 
they inspired a generation of people with their films to go out with their Super 8 cameras and make their own movies, which is exactly what this movie's about. Yeah. A bunch of kids running around making a movie. Like, that was, like, me with my shitty little camera. You know what I mean? Like, I had, had like, a DV camera, you know, DV tapes. But, you know, running around making, like, just stupid terrible things but you you watch those movies and it's like you start to see little things of like oh it's yeah it kind of does feel like a like a thing like when they're when they show some of the the kids footage of like when they're filming their little movie yeah part of me thinks it was actually jj abrams filming that you know what i mean like or did he just give it to one of the kids because because even that even that super eight like the way that it's filmed has a a little bit of a a jj quality to it oh yeah and it's um it's somewhat reminiscent of jj's own upbringing right like he's not been shy about telling people that he used to play with his star wars action figures and uh film them on super his super 8 camera yeah i think it's hilariously meta that a bunch of film students are doing a film (laughs) podcast about a movie about kids making a movie (laughs) (laughs) this movie really hits home for all of us so when I initially saw this movie, I didn't really like it that much. And I don't really know why. I I had issues around the monster and like the like how it I, I didn't quite feel bad for the monster because it was like capturing people and eating them, which was a problem for me. <laughs> <laughs> but on like watching it again, it's been a very long time since I've seen it. And it has a little bit more depth to it than I think I gave it credit initially. I um, I have my issues with J.J. Abrams and the way that he tells his stories, just because I feel like it. Oh, there's always a very strong beginning and then it like kind of falls apart near the end. But I think that's just because I was very upset that Lost got lost. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he set up the first season and then handed it off to Lindelof and was like, so figure you, it so out. So you were... You were upset with J.J. Abrams in this movie because of a different show. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> so, I I mean, it it definitely aged better. I think, yeah, I, I liked it much better this time around. Absolutely. Sure. One of my favorite lines is when... Um, the kid, like they're on, the, they're on the uh, the train, like at, at the old train station, and he comes up with all, like the the director kid comes up with the the rewrites. He's like, okay, okay, so this is what it's all about, blah 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 blah. And then like Elle Fanning's like, yeah, I know, I read it, and he goes, geez, I'm just directing, and like, walks away. And I was like, that's so good, that's yeah. so funny. Hannah, I, I I have to agree. The first time, like I love J.J. Abrams, I love sci-fi i love the idea of gorilla shooting a uh, uh a film like the kids do in the movie so like this should have been the perfect storm for me but the first time i watched it i enjoyed it but i didn't love it looking back on it i think you're you're right my biggest issue was at the was the the creature and the yeah. ending felt a little weak to me but re-watching it this time i didn't have the same reservations about the the finale of the film well i, I had one odd question like i get i get it thematically why the kid has to give up his necklace with his mother's picture in it yeah that seemed weird <laughs> like again i get it thematically but at the same time if they needed that extra bit of metal why didn't the alien creature take more of the guns that they made such a big deal of him being able to take away from the soldiers earlier in the scene yeah yeah there's, there's a couple like 
and I don't, I don't know. Weird spots. Maybe it's just because, like, I'm sure. Well, no, that's not true. Like, I was about to get like cut him some slack and be like, "Well, I'm sure there's things in Steven Spielberg movies that don't make sense," and I'm sure there is. But the way that Steven Spielberg creates a world, it all makes sense in his world. Yeah. Like, it, and I never question anything that he does because he does it so like with conviction. And I th- I found that there were some things in this movie that they felt like they were done to pull on heartstrings and not for any particular not for any particular reason for the world. And I think that's like that's why Spielberg will always like reign king is because I never like even in Indiana Jones it's so silly, but I don't I don't question any of the the choices that he makes in those movies. It doesn't feel know- odd for the world that he's created. No. No, it doesn't. And in this movie, I, I even this time through, my biggest issue was the monster. It's like I un, I understand what he's trying to do. I understand that he's trying to make me feel sympathy. But then you show me this like uh, until dawn cave where the monsters like got innocent townspeople tied up upside down in his like underground cave, and it's like I I, I don't. I don't understand. How am I supposed to feel? I don't know. <laughs> one of the other things that one of the things that gets me about that cave too is well, it's the the monster eating people. But why doesn't it eat like the first person it takes, the sheriff? Yeah. Um, but he eats people he's taken since. Like it yeah. didn't. His choice of who to eat in that cave didn't make any sense to me at all. Yeah, it kind of feels like he's picking and choose who he eats based on story points and it's like that's no 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 it's got to be like is the character hungry what's the character want yeah uh you know, the, it's, the, yeah, uh, it's a bit weird the the sheriff was wearing a bulletproof vest made out of plot armor yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, really so what I, it comes down to on this watching like this viewing though i cut him a little bit more slack because i don't know if i was just like frustrated when i saw it in the movie theater or what but that scene, like, after you see that, like, horrific scene, um, then obviously you have, and, and I'm jumping straight to the end, <laughs> but we can go back, um, and there's a scene where the monster is holding the kid, and it is quite cool, because they've, they've got, like, air, like, blowing on his hair to show the monster, like, breathing on him, which is, like, a, a nice touch. Um, and it's a super slimy monster that you love so much. <laughs> <laughs> this one is different, though, because it's not like a real puppet. It's fake, and my brain knows that it's fake. The slimy puppets that are real but have that, like, disgusting fake slime. I can't deal with it. Um, but, like, it, it kind of, like, the kid being like, yeah, bad things happen, but not all people are bad, and, like, that kind of thing. I was like, okay, like, I get it. You know? I It, like... I get what he's trying to do. I just think that he crossed a line with the monster, like, taking one of the main characters. It was like It. (laughs) It felt like It. It is very reminiscent of It and Goonies. So how do we... So let's let's brainstorm a bit then, because that's interesting. Um, Because it's one of those things where it's like, it's a small little change that could have had a very big different um, impact on people. So... Instead of let's let's brainstorm this a bit. Instead of uh, the monster taking a bunch of people, who which you presume that they're gonna he's gonna eat. Mm-hmm. Um, what's something that they that that they could have done? Maybe, maybe they just maybe if they just for some reason took 
Elle Fanning. <laughs> you know, if, if for some reason why they have to get separated uh, and they just take her, maybe there's something there. Like, they shouldn't have been all knocked out, maybe. Because they talk about, like, the, the alien needs to touch you f- to be able to communicate Yeah, and, and that's what I, like, I would have liked that a little bit more where it's like... They, they, I, I, I feel like they were looking for a reason for like why the kids would go down the hole. They were like trying to figure out yeah. how do we get the kids down there. Okay, easiest. How do we get the How do we get the kids and the monster to connect? Yeah, easiest thing for us to do is to have it take one of them, and then they have to go get her. And so, like, I understand like that's like the easy way to figure out how to do it. But like, they went to all this effort to talk about how like the monster co- like connects with people through touch and they said all that stuff but then like it, he's clearly grabbed people so wouldn't they would they not be like connected on a certain level at that point and then why would yeah. he eat them i'm just like it- <laughs> see on, honestly i think the the one of the ways they could have gotten around the whole the monsters t- kidnapping people in order to eat them thing and still get al fanning down in the cave could have been what if she had the cube from the train crash yeah and the reason yeah. that the alien yeah. took her was because she had the cube and that was the yeah. only way he could complete it or um, rebuild his ship is by getting that and he felt maybe that she kind of threatened by her because she was stealing his only way home to his family yeah i, I think, that's I think a really... that could have been a much stronger way yeah. of doing it yeah, and I, it could have even been the main kid, like, yeah. and you yeah. don't you or, don't even need to turn it into like a save the princess type thing. Like, it's just the monster comes after the kid because he's got the cube, and then you have this like, you still have that emotional impact of that scene where the monster grabs him, and they they have that like kind of moment where the kid knows like bad things have happened, but you don't have to add like a whole like horror section essentially to the film yeah it would have also been nice if they were like if you could have seen what happens when they connect yeah sort of thing yeah where it's like maybe this maybe this alien is just trying to get back to its family because they're the only ones left and maybe they've lost people maybe they've whatever you know what i mean like and then some way they could connect more on their trauma than 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 we see right now in the in the movie yeah yeah, I think like that. That was my my main issue with it when I first uh, when I first saw it, and I do think that there is a better way that they could have done it. But on this viewing, it didn't detract from the rest of the movie that much for me. Honestly, it like yeah. Um, I do think they could have done it better, but I still enjoyed watching it. Like, there's no motivation for who the alien picks and chooses, and they don't like they don't even have to be near the 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 alien um cave for the for to be kidnapped like so um Elle Fanning's character is kidnapped off of her street and her father who's like i don't know 30 yards away from her is left untouched like yeah it 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 doesn't make sense other than to me Easy other meal. than plot well i was going to say plot convenience the other thing is like the thing the people that it's taking have done nothing wrong to it like yeah, that's yeah. like they're trying to set it up like oh well it thinks that all humans are bad because of the military guys but like why why would this monster just randomly snatch three different people who didn't do anything wrong to it like i i don't know 
it would make more sense if there was some motivation as to why it might might have felt threatened. Your story fix would do that because it's like if the kid has the cube, then he has a motivation to take the cube back. I mean, you yeah. could even explain it kidnapping multiple people if like one of those boxes of cubes went missing or something like that or in the mm-hmm. in the explosion they some of them found their way into town or something like got shot that into moment town where the, the cubes start shooting out throughout everything and they all meet up at one point right they all go yeah. to like the what is it like the water tower or something yeah, yeah. but um yeah i mean it, it just requires like a reworking of how the cubes work because yeah. at the yeah. one point, like they have like this weird, like they have this weird, really interesting like texture to all the cubes. Yeah. And then all of a sudden they ter- they make this amazing dope ass ship <laughs> that's all smooth and shiny and completely different other texture, you know, because of science. So yeah. it's like yeah. I was just like, okay, all right. I didn't think that the end ship felt like it came from the cubes. Well, they did yeah. explain earlier in the movie that the that the cubes shapeshift. Yeah, but I don't know. It is it is a bit of a leap of faith. Like I mean, it, it it's it's kind of neat because it's an alien technology, right? And they yeah, it, and uh, we we can't base that off of anything. Yeah, you know? so I mean that I, was the least of my concerns with the end of the movie. <laughs> yeah, I and I agree with you, Ben. The like I get the symbolism behind like letting go of the necklace, like letting go of like whatever, but. Um, also, it's only been four months, and his mom died, and so he's just like, goodbye, necklace. Like, I don't know. It's, it seems a little, little yeah. strange. So, I want, I want to, we've, we've touched briefly on this already, but I, I want to get everyone's kind of opinions on, um, on the lens flares and the, the epic uh, Spielberg kind of inspired shots. Yeah. There was definitely one shot of the cubes in a box where I was like, that's Indiana Jones 10 million percent. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I know I mean, the shot end, you mean. The end of this film is just uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yep. That whole sequence is like, it's the same color palette, same lighting, everything. And the monster is just E.T., but if E.T. murdered people. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you don't know what E.T. did. Um, why is it always the kid with like braces or whatever that's like annoying? <laughs> that's that was one of my notes. One of my notes was that was to talk about the casting because I think the casting is great in this. I mean, I think they're lacking. I don't know. I, growing up, I had all sorts of friends, but like it just seemed like it was like six white kids, you know, all running around. Yeah, I don't know. I yeah. think that they could have branched out a little bit, but. Um, yeah, that one kid. That's that's one of my notes. Is that that one kid with the braces is always a piece of shit in every single movie that he's in, and he's good at it. His personality in this movie is set things on fire. <laughs> I mean, I, I've uh, my second note here is about that kid as well. Except it's a little different. It's hey, that kid was in Community. That was it. <laughs> yeah, and that kid, that kid was in a bunch of stuff too. He's oh yeah, like, uh, he, he was in everything. Wherever they needed like some little punk piece of shit kid. That kid is casting it. Honestly, for the first time. And he's good at it. Like, I'm not being mean. He's good at it. There's a reason he's getting typecast like that. For the first 20 minutes of the movie, anytime he was on screen, I stopped paying attention to what was happening and just stared at him going, where do I know him from before it clicked? Yeah. (laughs) I wrote one note where it's about when the father confronts confronts the main... I can't remember the main character's name in this movie. What's his name? 
Do they have names? I don't remember their names. I don't. I don't know. I don't remember any of their names. But Isn't I have it a, Joe Lamb. Uh, yeah, I guess. Uh, Joel I, Courtney played Joe Lamb. I think. Um, yeah, it is. I have a note about the the dad telling his son that he's going to go to baseball camp, and he says something like. It'll get you away from the kids with the cameras and the monster makeup. And I just wrote, I feel personally attacked. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I liked the, uh, I liked the casting, but uh, it, it could have been a little, you're right. Diverse. It's all, it's all white people, except for the one guy who got killed by a train. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At the it. beginning of the movie. Yeah. And also that truck would not exist anymore. Oh no, that's <laughs> that truck got destroyed in like the perfect way to keep one person alive. <laughs> like it was driving down the tracks on the tracks. That train was not going to be able to veer to the left or the right. Like <laughs> I don't know. Uh, that. Spe- speaking of that scene in uh, the utter chaos in, around the train station and the train. Um, I love how Elle Fanning's car is completely untouched around a massive pile of rubble. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the dad was too drunk to notice it got fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> um, ben, you mentioned uh, a question about lens flares earlier that I realized yeah. that we didn't answer. Um, lens flares, to me, like the lens flares in this movie, um, the ones that are motivated work. The ones that don't that aren't motivated don't work to me and i think it's one of those things where it's like there's more unmotivated lens flares than there are motivated so to me i think that they could have you if they got rid of half the lens flares in this movie i think it would work yeah now scott for for our listeners at home um please describe a motivated lens flares because i'm sure um you don't mean a lens flare that's uh ready to get to work (laughs) so basically like anything like if there's a source to it like if you can if you can defend a a decision of where this lens flare is coming from so if i'm shooting ben on the street and he's standing in front of a light post the the lens and there's a lens flare coming from that light post like that is technically motivated but anything like lens flares happen naturally anyway you point a camera at a light if it's an anamorphic lens and that's what the types of lenses like that's what gives you this amazing flare and that's a lot of time what these motion pictures use is like really nice anamorphic lenses you got things like cooks whatever you know zeiss but um if it's motivated fantastic but if you do if you shine if you shine a light into the camera that's not coming from any sort of source then that's unmotivated so the best the best thing to best example of that is, and I'm not knocking this in any way, but this is what they did in Star Trek uh, in the movies. They would take on the bridge. It's, you know, it's super white. It's super clean and there's lights everywhere, but they would take high powered flashlights from beside the camera. And usually you have to, that's where to get like the big flares. That's where you have to put the, put the light. They would shine that light right down into the lens and it would create this massive flare. But the thing is, is that that's not coming from anywhere in the world. It's just, it's, it's man-made. So if you're looking at a screen, like if you're looking at Captain Kirk on the bridge and behind him is this 
big like kind of like flashing light that is meant to be like you know whatever what whatever part it plays in the role of set deck or or you know bridge going on for lack of a better term bridge uh, happenings bridge happenings (laughs) then it makes sense it's like oh the turbo lift opens and there's lots of light coming out of it you know that makes sense for there to be a flare it just feels like a lot of the times when lens flares happen, they're man-made. Yeah. And and that is the wrong type of lens flare. Like, so a really good scene that I like where it's totally, you know, um, motivated is there's a scene where the, the boy and Elle Fanning's characters, they stumble upon, well, she stumbles into his room and he's was watching a reel, a film reel of his mom, mm-hmm. like home video. And it's dark out and, you know, it's, you know, it's like midnight or whatever. She sneaks into his house, you know, young love, whatever. But uh, he turns it on and the camera, all the shots are from, you know, the wall looking towards the kids and the projector yeah. is shining towards the camera. That entire scene is is beautiful to me. One, because the acting's great, the direction's great, but also the cinematography. Because of the projector is shining towards the camera, you get these natural, beautiful flares and it's from a source, and it also creates geography because the, you cut to the kid, you cut to a close-up of the kid, and the flares are there. You cut to the wide shot, the flares are still in like the same sort of direction. And subconsciously, we understand the geography of the room. We understand where everybody is. Everything feels right. When you go to other scenes and the flares are, you know, the flares are not in the wide shots all of a sudden, or things aren't don't feel like they should be there, that's when you know. And subconsciously, you're like, something's off here. It doesn't feel right. Yeah. yeah. And it, it did feel like there was just lens flares for the sake of lens flares. Like, yeah, the whole scene where they're filming, like, on the on the train station platform and, like, all the, like, there's just lens flares there. And it's, like, there mm-hmm. there is a light, like, way, that's way down the, the train tracks, but... It's got a flare on it. <laughs> <laughs> it just, it, it just didn't feel like they needed to be there. Yeah, and in real life, like that, that of a, a light from that far away wouldn't give off that strong of a flare. Either, no, you know, no. it would have to be super powerful from that distance, and that's one of those things where, like, subconsciously, you're like, that doesn't feel right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll be, I'll be honest. Like the lens flares, the swooping, circling camera shots, they, they, they certainly help make the film feel more epic and larger than life than it actually is. Yeah. But and and, and I didn't, I didn't hate them. But they were definitely overused. Yeah, it was just well, a, it, a little distracting. Well, it, it it's also that fine balance, though, too, which is like, okay, if we're going to do this circle track where everyone's standing there and the camera circles around, you have to kind of pick and choose when to use it. Because if that's if that's your go-to thing to create a sense of pace because these characters are forming a plan or, you know, they're in a hurry and they need to figure out what's going on and the world is in chaos around them sort of thing. Uh, you know, metaphorically or physically, depending if, you know, something's happening. But those that those sorts of moments, like the swooping cameras and all that, they need to generate and bring in some sort of energy that helps tell the story and reflect the story in a visual way. And J.J. Abrams, I mean, I, I agree with you guys, like, there is a few things that they kind of reuse every now and then. Mm-hmm. But in J.J. Abrams's work, a lot of the time, you know, coming from that Spielbergian Spielbergian world, he uses it great a lot yeah. of the times. Oh yeah. There there was one uh one thing I wanted to mention when uh it's back to when they're on the train platform 
and uh, or no, it's not when they're on the train platform. It's when they're talking about the story changes and bringing Elle Fanning in to uh, to uh, justify her part. And the director kid is talking about how he needs a love interest to to make the story more interesting. Because if it's just the monsters, then the story's not interesting. And it, I thought that was kind of neat to put in there because I think it's J.J. Abrams calling himself out. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that that scene that scene's great though too because I it, they have a moment there where I think every young filmmaker and especially us like when we were in film school things would happen and all of a sudden you just like stop what you're doing in a moment of shock and just be like oh, production value because <laughs> <laughs> for them for them the trains coming they didn't expect the train to come and it yeah. changes like the whole dynamic of the scene because before. When they're rehearsing, they give this like really soft, really intimate, powerful, you know, yeah. execution of this like I don't want you to leave sort of thing. And Elf Fanon <laughs> cries in it, and it's great. And then all of a sudden, production value, and the train comes by, and they're yelling at each other. And it's like it was one of those moments where you're just kind of like, oh yeah, that that you know that stuff happens on set where like you use you just use it, and it either makes it better. Or you know, the an alien escapes from the train and tries to kill everybody. <laughs> that ha- I re- I remember a moment like that happening on the set of Little Man when we're shooting in this house and like the the guy in the house isn't supposed to have power and we sit down and set up the camera and it's cold in the house but you know it it's not like too bad and we're filming the scene and the old man is talking to camera and you you can see just like the puffs of. Uh, as he's talking, like the the cold cold puffs. What are those called? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you can called, see his but... breath as he's talking. Yeah, you can see. His I like bre- to think that we usually have better choice of words for things, but I've realized all three of us kind of suck at this. <laughs> you know the yep. cold puffs. <laughs> you know the old cold puffs. The cocoa but- cold puffs. I remember that moment being like, oh, production value. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Hannah was like, oh, good. We don't have to put them in later. Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 the, 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 their whole um, filmmaking experience really did feel like film school guerrilla filmmaking. Yeah. Oh, for totally. Sure. Like, it, I had a smile on my face every time that they were, you know, filming something or trying to. Those were my favorite parts of the whole movie. Yeah. Them yeah, shooting too. their film. And then there's that that uh, the camera store guy getting high in his car. So that was wasn't <laughs> yeah. he, he was in Seventh Heaven, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. I looked yeah. into it. Was it really? Yeah. yeah. Holy <laughs> shit! I recognized him, and I was like, mm, I'm pretty sure he was like the older brother or whatever uh, in Seventh Heaven. I haven't seen him in anything. I think since this, I can't. This I can't was... think of anything that he's been in. This was one of Elle Fanning's first things, right? Unless any of us have watched that one specific episode of CSI or Criminal Minds, Super <laughs> 8 would have been our first introduction to Elle Fanning. <laughs> um, and she's fantastic in this. I like how I like how like such the dry and uh, closed character she plays. Yeah. Um, especially where it's like she's not um, she's not willing to show her emotions and i like that because because also she's like the you can tell that she hasn't had a lot of friends too in this movie like that's yeah. the type of character she plays because of like the the family life that she has in this film and like slowly she starts to show more like she cracks a smile when they're all talking at the at the diner 
uh, when they're making fun, when all the boys are making fun of each other. And it's also weird to see people sitting at a diner during COVID. You know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> so I was just like, oh yeah, people go out and like do things and have dinner and stuff. If you thought but, that was um, weird, how'd you feel about seeing everybody living in one giant room at the military <laughs> base? Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, totally. Outbreak. Um, but yeah, no, I thought she was great. I thought she was great in this. And, uh, I, I mean, I always like the stuff that she's in. I think she's fantastic. I also really like Football Dad. What's his name? Um, jo- uh, Joel McKinnon Miller. Is that his name? The Hitchcock. No, yeah, from uh, no, no, oh. no, no, Scully no. from uh, or Scully. No, from no, not, not 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 him. The the uh, the kid's actual dad, like the main character's dad. Oh yeah. Um, I can't remember his name, but he was in that football show with the footballs. Friday Night Lights. Um, Friday Night Lights. The football Was he show Kyle, the Kyle, uh, Kyle Lang- Chandler. Kyle Chandler. Um, <laughs> yeah, football dad. <laughs> what's the foot? What's the football show about? The footballs all about? Is it about football? It's, it's about it's about footballs. <laughs> it's isn't that that show with Taylor Kitsch in it or Tyler Kitsch or whatever his name is? Yeah, it's Taylor got jo- it's got John Carter of Mars in it. <laughs> Whoa, wait, Jesse Plemons is in it too. Todd from Breaking Bad. What? Where? I uh, I don't know. According to IMDb, he's in sixty-five episodes of it. Oh, of Friday Night Lights. I thought you meant he was in Super Eight. <laughs> oh no, sorry. I'm. <laughs> I I was like I I that's shocking to me. Um... No, I'm I'm going <laughs> I'm going down a I'm going down a rabbit hole now. Why would you have to mention it? <laughs> uh, I really liked him in this movie. I thought he played like a good kind of, you know, 70s dad uh, who doesn't quite understand his kid. And then and then or he emotions. becomes then he becomes a badass hot dad when he beats up that uh, <laughs> military guy. <laughs> but, badass, but some- <laughs> badass hot dad. Is that his character's name in this movie? <laughs> uh, Mr. Badass Hot Dad. <laughs> Uh, but that's, then he does, no, that's he does too the, close to hot dog. <laughs> he does the old uh, Spielberg swapperoo of the outfits, and people suddenly start thinking he's a staff sergeant because that makes sense. Anyways, <laughs> <laughs> there's a really good scene when uh, when he's in the staff sergeant thing, and he pulls uh, uh, one of his one of his deputies over and they do like this classic like Spielberg silhouette shot from yeah, like behind yep. a curtain. Yeah. I love that shit. That shit's yeah. so good. Yep. I, I mean, it's a. I I don't really have much else to say. Like it, it's a fun movie. I preferred the stuff with the kids making the movies over the like evil military government coming in. I think that's just where my mind is at right now. Though I just don't feel like watching a movie about evil military right now because there's there's <laughs> there's real evil military out there right now. So that's fun. But he he played such a mean character. No Noah Emmerich, like. He he's a full out evil man who kills uh the Woodward guy. That was a weird scene because there's like also flies like buzzing all over Woodward's face. Did you guys notice that? That was weird. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'd be interested in knowing the um like the subtext to that. Like what why why those choices were made there. Cause it's definitely a choice. Like you have to Usually, unless the set was very dirty and there's a lot of flies going around, yeah. Um, but usually, like those flies are like brought in. Like there's a there's a bug wrangler. There's a fly man. 
There's a fly man that comes in. Or is his woman. name, is his name and, Jeff Goldblum? Uh, yes, you know, it is. Who <laughs> comes in and like puts things on your face, and then the bugs go to that those parts of the face. It's crazy. There was a, a kind of a whiplash of feeling in this movie where there was like pure like horror moments, like not horror in the strictest sense, but just like very scary moments, like when they're about very to kill. dark. Yeah, yeah, very dark moments mixed in with which you know. To be fair, that was a lot of like eighties kids movies had like a ton <laughs> of dark, horrifying moments. So it was probably a bit of an homage to that. Anybody remember? Um, Goonies when the kids have a gun pointed at them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, also too, um, I think a- another way that they may have been looking at it is like when you think about, you know how there's like how things really happened and then like how things in your mind happened as a kid? Yeah. yeah. Like I think maybe they're pulling some sort of like some inspiration from maybe that maybe where it's like things are a lot you always think things are darker and more crazier and maybe using that as like a filter for this movie sort of thing. Yeah. Cause I like that idea of like making things darker and making things, you know, okay, we can have them run down, we can have them run down the street, but what if we have them run down the street and all the tanks are coming out and blowing <laughs> shit up and like, you know, like making it, making it more scary for what, people at that age would have been freaking out about which you know when we were younger and we were watching 80s films like you know shit was shit was scary yeah yeah yeah. that would that would make sense i remember i was watching that scene and i was like what the fuck are they firing at what is going on like why are they all and then it immediately goes to like all of the tanks are firing by themselves i was like oh okay (laughs) i did i actually really enjoy that sequence yeah yeah, it I was like, it I was liked, neat. Liked it just it, too, yeah. it didn't make sense. Like at first, it didn't make sense to me, but then uh, he explained it, and it was yeah. it was I pretty like, neat. I like right after that how he's like everything's firing on ourselves. We have no control, and then it cuts to like this big wide shot, and there's like a guy, a guy like a soldier sitting on one of like like a jeep with a machine gun, and the machine <laughs> gun's going off, and I'm like, you could you could point it into the air, maybe you could point. It. He's got it like pointed straight ahead, and this thing's like going off like you're just shooting everyone's houses they're just driving down the street with it i was like oh my god speaking of uh hannah's point about um being really confused until like two minutes later when it's finally explained is over the course of uh doing this podcast there are god knows how many times i've written a note because i was so confused and then as soon as i finished writing the note about it (laughs) somebody says a line that explains it and i went well there goes that point yeah (laughs) Well, it's also it's also nice though too sometimes because it gives you a sec to think about it. Yeah, and yeah. then it gives you an an answer, right? Yeah. Instead of just being like, "Well, the guns are going off because of this," like yeah. the guns are going off, and then cut like cut away, and then cut back. So yeah, there, gives you a moment to be like, "Well, why is it happening?" There's know? no way for filmmakers to win because either we don't want them to tell us what's going on, <laughs> or, or yeah. we do want them to tell us what's going on. I think there's it's, a fine balance there. Yeah, just trying to find that balance of not pissing everyone off. (laughs) Which is very hard to do. It's extremely hard to do. I know a solution. Put the camera vertical. Hey, guess what? I'm pissed off. Film it for Instagram. (laughs) Oh, I had a question that sort of has to do with this movie, but also doesn't at the same time. Why is there water in water towers? Uh, so they fill the towers with water and then gravity pulls it down and it flows out to the homes in the area around by. 
Really? So, like so they, that way- still happens? Oh yeah, we have water towers here in town. No, Multiple. I know that they're they're here, but they still do that because isn't yep. there like a bill fil- the big filtration plant that sends water out? I, I I'd have to double check, but basic I I think the it's filtered and then sent to the towers. They're more of like a I think they're more of a, like a reservoir, so we don't run out of water. Huh? Yeah, I I just I I honestly didn't know. I I've seen water towers everywhere, and I know that they're water towers. But I've never really thought about why. <laughs> because 5G and they're trying to microchip you through the water. It, it was a very cool shot when like the water tower gets like imploded and then there's just water everywhere. That was kind of neat. I like that. Yeah. Um, there's a couple of scenes. Uh, oh, this will lead me to the next point as well. There's a couple of scenes that are really well done. Um, just with like pulling at your heartstrings and stuff like that. Um, the one example that I've already mentioned was the scene where they watched the video or the film with the mom in it. Mm -hmm. And then of course the last scene where he's got to let go of the, of the necklace. Very, you know, very heartfelt scenes. They, and they make you feel something. And I think it's, it's also like a testament to the music as well, because there are those, uh, musical themes throughout, throughout the film. It's, you know, pulling from the pulling from the John Williams yeah. way of scoring, which is each character has their own theme sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I love it, but there's, it's kind of weird where and it's Michael, Michael Giacchino, I think, right. Or Michael Giacchino, one of those ways of saying it. Um, but he, um, he actually goes on to do, uh, to do Star Trek as well with JJ Abrams. And you know what? I think he lifted some of his own work and put it in Star Trek because I, it wouldn't surprise they, me because <laughs> there is a incredible amount of similarities between this the score and the uh, uh, Star Trek 2009 score. Yeah. Oh yeah. I honestly, Michael Giacchino is one of my favorite modern composers. Or wait a sec, 2000. Oh, he took score from 2009 and put it in Super 8 because Super 8 came out in 2011. Oh, okay. Yeah, I I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, we now know that composers definitely steal from themselves. <laughs> in, uh, <laughs> yeah, this is not the first time we've pirates. run into this. No, and I'm not saying it's a bad. I'm not saying no. it's a bad thing. If you got Michael something Giacchino, that works, Michael Giacchino is like incredible. Yeah. Oh, he's now he's now done uh, both Star Trek and Star Wars as well. He did Rogue One, didn't he? He did do Rogue One. Didn't he yeah. do music for like a Call of Duty game or something as well? I, I like believe so. Um, but he's also done a lot of Pixar movies. Like, he, honestly, his, his work from Up, um, that the theme song from the beginning of Up was actually oh, yeah. on our wedding playlist. Yeah. Yeah. Up is such a good film, too. And the music in Up is incredible. Yeah. yeah. He, he's, he's an incredibly talented composer. I, I love his work. Incredible. Okay, well, final thoughts then on Super 8. Ben... Um, I thought it was overall. I thought it was a it was a fun fun flick with a, a few minor plot holes, um, but they didn't really detract from my enjoyment too much. Like I said before, it was definitely a technical love letter to Spielberg um, and the things that grew J.J. Abrams' love of filmmaking as a kid. Honestly, though, I felt it lacked a little bit of the Spielberg Spielberg heart. Yeah, that's a that's a very good way of putting it. Hannah, what about you? So I definitely enjoyed it more this time than I did the first time. I know I said that previously, but just going to say it again. I still have like some plot hole issues with the monster 
And I, I like I don't really know how I'm supposed to feel about the monster if he's like murdering people, but also I'm supposed to feel bad for him. It just I I I, I didn't really like that section of the movie, but uh, it somewhat redeemed itself in this rewatching because I did think that the scene with like the little kid um, being held by the monster and them having their little like mind meld or whatever was kind of neat. Overall, I enjoyed it. I would probably watch it again. I have it on Blu-ray, so clearly I liked it enough to <laughs> buy it on Blu-ray. But yeah, it was just fun. I think I think people should watch it again. It was a good time. Yeah, me as well. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to agree with your guys' notes. Yeah, I love it being a, a a love letter to Spielberg and you know all those types of movies that I I loved watching growing up. I think the performances are great. I think the pacing is great. It 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 you don't it never stops. You know, it picks you up and takes you on this journey and then it lets you off. And I love that it's real nice escapism with uh, with based in reality. And I, I agree. I think the I think the handling of the monster could have been differently, and it could have added another little nice layer to the story if the monster was handled a little bit differently in connection with the the characters and their their own personal story. Um, so Ben, um, out of out of five out of control machine guns, <laughs> how many do you give it? I'd give it a solid four. Four, I enjoyed I enjoyed the five. movie, but it could have been could have been better. Could have been a lot better. And Hannah, out of uh, five slimy CGI monsters, <laughs> how many do you give it? I think I'm just gonna go slightly lower with a three point five. I still enjoyed it, but I, I got a a bit of a vendetta against J.J. Abrams, and I just feel like he he never knows how to finish <laughs> his movies. Um, <laughs> but I will give him credit. It was a good movie, and all the action sequences and the kids and all that stuff was was really great in this movie. So, uh, yeah. Well, maybe I might give it like a three point eight. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you can do that? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm giving us permission to do that. <laughs> Just this once, though, only because yeah. she's doing it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, Scott. Hey, yeah. What's up? Uh, out of five badass hot dads how many would you give super eight sorry i was thinking about it (laughs) um the movie or the hot dad yes out of um out of five super hot ass bad dads um, (laughs) uh, i'm gonna give this i'm gonna give it a, a four but if i'm gonna use Hannah's rating system, I'm going to give it a 4.25. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I uh, I really enjoy this movie. I, like my, my biggest things with it was just kind of like the handling of the monster. I think there could have been more of a, um, a unifying way of bringing, of bringing the monster into the story and a little bit more of connection between the main character and the monster uh, towards the end as well. But yeah, I'm going to go with uh, four to five. Sweet. Nice. Do you think that that was the initial idea was like for the kid to have a, a more of a relationship with the monster? Because it, it kind of feels like that would make the most sense and and maybe something changed. I don't know. A little, yeah. Like I mean, a little I more th- E.T., a little less close encounters. Yeah. 
Right, but I mean, it, it also sounded like they wanted to do like an ET that is more threatening. You know what yeah. I mean? But I think the idea of having this character that you think is so scary and so, um, you know, misunderstood and that you think is going to eat you this entire time actually isn't. Yeah. And and they actually, that there is some sort of unifying that, like, trauma doesn't give a shit about what type of species you are sort yeah. of thing. And that, that there's, that that's our, that's our link between whoever, you know, you know, dogs feel, you know, dogs feel pain, cats feel pain, humans feel pain, you know, alien civilizations, uh, they will feel pain. And I think unless they're so heavily evolved that they don't or whatever, yeah. but like, but like pain is a unifying factor, not only from people, but through species as well. Yeah. And I think that that could have and that could have brought in a real nice dynamic of like connection because there's that moment where like the guy's like, oh yeah, no, like you have pain and I am I want to go home and you've lost your mom and I was like, yeah, but there would have but there could have been a better connection between like you've lost someone you care about, I've lost someone I've cared about. You know? Yeah, yeah. I did like the little like when he starts talking to him and the the monsters like eye caps or whatever those things are. I don't know what they are. But they're like little. Like eye Eyelids? protect eye protectors like come open, <laughs> and you see his because uh, they're not really eyelids. They're like they're like fake. I don't know. They're li- little like alligator eyelids almost, where they like slide up, and you can see his uh his like actual eyes underneath. That's kind of cool. I like that. Well, this has been the Winchester's review and discussion of Super Eight. Catch us next week where we talk about snow dogs, because Ben's getting a puppy, and we're all excited for him. Yay! We want puppies ourselves. <laughs> yep. Uh, okay. Hannah, where can the good people find you? Everyone can find me online at Shiny Bad Guys. Send me pictures of your puppies. <laughs> <laughs> and Ben, what's those social details? I am the Ben Bray on Instagram and Twitter. And I'm Scott. You can find me on all social media at SkayP. You can find our wonderful editor, Jordan Moore, on social media at ThatJorMoore. Please make sure to rate, review, subscribe to us on iTunes and all other platforms wherever you get your podcasts. It would really help us out, and we would appreciate it. Don't forget that you can join in on the conversation by following us on all social media at WinchesterCast or heading to our website, WinchesterCast.ca. Don't forget to use the hashtag WinchesterCast. We would love some more people talking to us on social media. Give us an idea of what movie to watch. Ask us some questions to to ask on the podcast. Uh, We'll eat it up. We love it. We appreciate it. And Uh, the Winchester. When you review us, we'll shut you out. We'll we'll shout you out, (laughs) not shut you out. (laughs) Well, maybe both. Depends on the depending on depending if we know you. Uh, we'll shut you out if we know you. <laughs> New people are allowed to come in. Please, please. Uh, the Winchester does not do any hardcore advertising and is purely word of mouth, so please, every share, every mention, every hashtag really helps in getting the Winchester out there. Thanks from all of us here at the Winchester. Pew, 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 pew. pew, pew. pew, pew.